Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, Equal Players. How are we all feeling today? I hope everyone's doing well. And if you're not yet, I have confidence you will after hearing from today's guest. She is a multi-hyphenate, the true definition of a boss, an award-winning host and analyst for ESPN, where she's worked since 2009, covering NCAA basketball and the WNBA, a host of the WNBA show Around the Rim, a founder of the nonprofit Rising Media Stars, and is the CEO and founder of her own consulting company, Stretch Beyond. On top of all of that, she was a student athlete at Wake Forest University, where she was a four-year starter, and followed that up, spending seven years working for the Georgia Tech women's basketball program from 2003 to 2010. I am so honored to welcome in the one and only LaChina Robinson. Wow. Thank you. Thanks, Annie. That was an amazing introduction. No, thank you so much for being here. I I reached out on Twitter, as you know, you responded. Um, but I I was just so excited to have this conversation because not only of all of your experience, but the way that you do your job. I've had so many listeners reach out lately about guests that I've had on who, you know, are young, aspiring journalists and, and just expressing, you know, that they've learned so much from the guests that, that, that have come on equal play. So having you on, I just know that, you know, I'm going to get a flood of, of those messages. And, and it was just, you know, an honor, like I said, to have you as a guest on our podcast. Well, it's an honor that you would ask me to be on. So thank you so much. I am a fan of your work. And um, I know we are both 10 toes down when it comes to the W. So I'm always down for my, uh, you know, uh, my tried trust and true WNBA media folks. So I appreciate everything that you do as well. Well, thank you for that. So the point of this podcast is always to, to talk to our guests about, you know, where they're at, but also where they started. And you and I have some stuff to get into about the WNBA too. I wanted to get into some hot topics with you today too. But before we do all that, we got to start from the beginning. So what was your experience with sport like growing up in Virginia? Yeah. So, um, I was what I would call a reluctant basketball player. Um, Uh I started off my relationship with sports started off in cheerleading and that was mostly due to the fact that I wanted to do what my friends were doing. Right. So most Mm -hmm. of my friends were cheerleaders. I was like, let's do this. Uh, but I was also the girl that's cheerleading skirt just always seemed to be a little short. My mom hated, 
My mom hated that I had to be the base and wanted me to be a flyer. But I'm like, mom, I am like by far the tallest person in here. And then by the time I was 14, I was six foot four. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, had had many offers to play basketball, obviously, with people seeing my height. I tried in the sixth grade, hated it. And it wasn't until there was a guy in my neighborhood named Michael J. Um, he would mm-hmm. always come by my house and ask my mom if I, you know, he was like, come on, she needs to play basketball. She's tall. And my mother was like, no, we're good. You know, she was always about education, not so big on sport necessarily. Mm-hmm. And one day he was like, well, do you know that she could earn a college scholarship playing basketball? And my mother was like, we will be there tomorrow. <laughs> um, signed me up, never came back to get me. And that's kind of the story of my life. But basketball was important to me at that juncture because I had such a low self-esteem as a teenage girl. Like imagine being 6'4", 14, right? And right. like you're sticking out like a sore thumb. Puberty didn't hit me till way late. I, I wore like a size 13 shoe. You know, it was just like... Mad awkward. So um, I just remember stepping on the basketball court at that point and feeling like, wow, I have finally found the place where I belong. Right. Like this mm-hmm. is why I'm tall. Right. And, you know, making friends and all of the things that sport teach you from finding your voice to having confidence. So it was it was definitely a much needed introduction for me as a young girl. It's just so wonderful to hear you describe it that way, because I think so often we we see young kids talk about sport like it has to end up being a career. And obviously, you know, being in sport media, playing sports at a young age contributed to that, I'm sure. But beyond that, it it does so much for your mental and your approach to life and especially for young women. So beyond just even having a career in sport, I think that's the most valuable aspect of sport at a young age is, is like you said, finding yourself and, and finding your confidence and developing that confidence and, and that confidence helping you become, you know, who you're meant to be. So I'm curious without sport, where do you think you would be? Oh boy. (laughs) Ooh, that's a tough question. And even draws some emotion from me. You know, I'm one of 16 children and there are only two of us that have graduated from college and not that Mm -hmm. graduating from college is everything, but I just see a stark difference in kind of the trajectory of my life and that of my siblings. And um, I know that sport was the difference. And my other sibling that did um, graduate college is my little brother who also played college basketball, but you know, in celebrating the anniversary of the 50th anniversary of Title IX this year, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sport was access to education for me. You know, mm-hmm. my mother, we had never heard of Wake Forest University before. Like we had no clue. You know, when I started getting calls about colleges, we didn't know about the recruiting process, like none of that. And my mother was a first generation college graduate. She was the first person to graduate from college on my entire grandmother, grandfather side of the family. So You know, she kind of understood the education aspect of it. But for little girls, especially little black and brown girls Mm -hmm. that don't have access to sport, it it completely changes their access to education. You know, I would have never been able to afford to go to college. Um, Who knows if my academics were strong enough? Probably not um, to earn academic degree, (laughs) though I was though I was dean's list through Wake Forest. So I was. Yeah, we saw that. We saw that. Uh-huh. But yeah, so so more than anything, Annie, my life, I would not be where I am today without sport because it got me access to education. I traveled. 
got to see the world. You know, when I was in college, I was visiting California and going to all these states and, and meeting different people and experiencing different cultures. And, you know, just what Wake Forest afforded me was so much more than an education. It was so much more than basketball. It kind of shaped who I was as a person. So who knows where I would be without <laughs> sport, but thank goodness that I don't have to uh, find out. Did you know before getting to college that broadcasting was was where you wanted your life to go? Or was that a development that, you know, set in set in a, as your career in sport developed? Oh, yeah. No, I never saw broadcasting as <laughs> something I would be doing. I came into college thinking that I was going to be a lawyer. That's what my parents always wanted me to do. I was born in Boston. My really? Were, yes. My parents were obsessed with Harvard. Like I wanted to oh be God. Allison Feaster. Like I wanted, that was my dream. Amazing. So, but when I got to, you know, wake and I realized I was going to have to do a ton of reading and writing, I was like, no, thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I was like, well, maybe I'll major in psychology. You know, I always see these, these movies and people are laying on the couch and they're talking about their lives. And, you know, this, this person is helping them navigate. And then I, barely made it through intro it was like nope that's not it and Mm -hmm. I landed on sociology just because I like the coursework you know I took classes like sport and social uh death and dying marriage and the family social Mm -hmm. inequality so that's kind of you know where things landed for me and even when I graduated I had no clue what I was going to do with that sociology degree I ended up transitioning from college into sport administration but that was only Uh because I knew I wanted to stay, stay close to the game, right? I was like, uh-huh. I want to stay close to sport. I don't want to coach. How can I do it? But no, broadcasting was not even close to being on my radar. It wouldn't come into play until I was in my late 20s. Okay, um, I love that because I think there are so many people out there who think there's one set way to get into the industry or one set way to be successful in the industry. And obviously we know that's absolutely not true. So I'm curious how your degree in sociology makes you a a better journalist, a better broadcaster, just makes you better every single day in a way that a standard, you know, journalism degree maybe doesn't. That's a great question, Annie, because I I feel like everyone kind of has their in into this industry and it comes from how you are uniquely wired. And Mm -hmm. for me, I love sociology because I love people. I love people. I love stories. I love society. And so like and how all those things are intermingled and what makes us who we are and, you know, what are our motivations? What are the stories? What are the journeys behind sport? And so when I started out as an analyst, (laughs) and I say this all the time to people, but like as a post player, it's different because in college, you all you had to know was what your job was, right? So I was like, I'm going to run in the end under the basket. I'm going to rebound. I know what my position is. Point guards, to me, always make the best analysts. And I hate to admit this, but I do think it's true. (laughs) And it is changing with with hybrids like Candace Parker. But um, yeah, I've always like... I, I. point guards are great because they have Uh to know everyone's position. They see the game differently. And so it took me a long time to really get to the point where I could watch basketball and break down film easily and understand all aspects of it. So when I started as an, as a journalist, as an analyst, I was a storyteller. I Mm -hmm. knew that women's basketball had so many untold stories. There weren't places other than, you know, writing, um, you know, for personalities like me to to storytell. You know, there weren't right. these shows and all these features happening around women's basketball. So 
and analyst was the was the place for me to kind of tell those stories over uh, over the game. Um, and so mm-hmm. I sprinkled a little basketball in there. But my sociology degree definitely defined what type of analyst I am. And we still have differences in the kind of analyst we are. You know, you have a hardcore X and O analyst. There are some that lean more towards storytelling. There are some that are more just about the entertainment factor. Like there's something about all of us that makes us different. And I remember telling Kira Lawson one time, I was like, Kira, man, I wish I could break down the game the way you do. And she said, LaChina, you have your own special, unique style. There are stories you tell. There's things that you weave into the game that make you special. We all mm-hmm. are different. And I know that my style started at least with my, with that sociology degree and, and wanting to mm. talk about the people that make up the sport. Oh, so good. That is such good advice. And even like the sociology aspect, you know, applying to, to your coverage in a way of, of like relating to people or, or understanding how, yeah, society impacts sports, because we know there are a ton of people who, who like to say that, that sport and politics need to be kept separate or, or sport is sport. And, and it doesn't need to be, you know, woven in with, with what's happening in the country, for example, but we know that is absolutely false. And I think that, you know, going back to even the way sport has been covered historically, like that is changing in my mind so much right now. The yes. journalists I, I watched, read growing up, there was this sense that, you know, sport was sport. And we didn't see, again, and, and this might be my ignorance of, of what I was reading and what I was seeing, but it wasn't, it wasn't, covered the same as it's being covered now. And it absolutely is true in the WNBA. The WNBA is setting the standard as far as, you know, the, the mixing of, of sport and politics and sport and society. So I'm curious how you think that, yeah, the WNBA is, is setting that standard in the way that sport is covered um, across all sports, all professional sports. Well, what's unique about the WNBA is the intersectionality of race and gender, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the WNBA is primarily consists of double minority in right. terms of gender and race. Mm-hmm. So the women in this league or the the, the players in this league, I want to be very, make sure I'm being mindful because um, the league is not just made of all what they would consider women, women but, right. um, you know, I want to be, yeah, I want to be careful that way, but this league is made of people who have no choice, but to get involved in conversations right. and things that are affecting our world because it's brought to their back door, right? right? Like most of the things that happen in terms of the laws and some of the inequalities and the violations of human rights happen mm-hmm. around race and gender, Um, Mm -hmm. When it comes to decisions that being made around women, around, you know, people of color. And so I don't think that we often acknowledge that, yes, these women are willing to or these players are willing to engage in this fight, but it was also brought to their back door. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I just have been impressed with the WNBA's ability to rally, to mobilize, to come together, to really risk whatever it is that they have to in order to use their voices unapologetically, um, you know, they've had the most to lose when you think about 
sponsorships and um, all the different things that you consider when you often take a stand or use your voice in these spaces. And yet they have been willing to put whatever they have on the line to have the loudest voice. And, um, you know, they often talk about being the voice of the voiceless, and it's quite a responsibility. And one that I think is perfect for this league, again, because they are most impacted by things that are happening in our, in and around our society. So I'm curious, and and this is kind of a question for my own personal growth, but, you know, you know me and and my role as a more traditional journalist, you know, a a beat writer covering the day-to-day and and trying to break news and and do all these things. And I sometimes struggle with the aspect of, you know, asking players to speak on topics that are beyond sports. I'm like, is this, is this really what their job title requires of them? Like, is this fair to, to bring up? Is this fair to discuss? And like you said, the, the players of the WNBA, it, they have no choice. It's brought to their back door, like you mentioned. And so what's the line there? What do you think the line there is? Is it fair to, to always expect players to speak on on topics that go beyond the court is that something that that they should be expected to do well when we look at sport athletes are such a in a unique situation where they Mm -hmm. can really impact things that are happening in our world by using their voices right and Mm -hmm. what Our job is as media is to cover what we feel like are the important topics um, and giving these athletes the opportunity, if they wish, to use their voices Mm -hmm, in this space. mm -hmm. So I think it's not shoving it down their throats, but remembering also that they are people, that they are humans, that what's happening in our world is affecting them. You know, I I mean, I think they have made it clear that they want to use their voices in other um, on other topics, when you think about more than an athlete and some of the things we're hearing, you know, how they have shown such resistance and, and thank goodness they have to people saying, just shut up and dribble. Ugh. No, they want to have a voice. Right. And if they don't, they can always decline. But it's our job to not turn our heads or um, to to not ask these questions and stick to basketball when um, these athletes are so much more dynamic and have so much more to offer. And you, you think about the makeup of WNBA players and in, 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 in specifically and how educated, world-traveled uh-huh. they are. Uh-huh. Like they're businesswomen, they're parents, they're philanthropists, entrepreneurs. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just impressed with, with what is really put on display in this group of 144 or less than right, women. Right. And why wouldn't we want to tap into that knowledge, to that experience, to that perspective? Because as you know, women of color in particular are often invisible and our mm-hmm. thoughts are not heard and our voices are not amplified. And the WNBA gives us an opportunity. And I'm speaking on that league in particular to change that, to be mm-hmm. a, a leader in how we we see the perspective of minorities in our country. And it's important that we um, take advantage of that by by amplifying those voices. You mentioned Allison Feaster and obviously, you know, got into how your parents' intention for you maybe to become a lawyer transitioned into a, a career in broadcasting. It didn't pan out that way. But I'm curious how 
women like Allison Feaster, even if they're in different positions, have inspired your career and, and still inspire your career, even though, you know, you're an immeasurable professional yourself? Man, I've been so inspired by, I mean, I can't even begin to name um, all of the women who have um, touched me in some way. Alice Feaster definitely was one of the first, again, just going to Harvard, being brilliant, um, never forgetting that upset of 16 over number one, which really, Mm -hmm. you know, put her name in the record books forever. Uh, But also, I remember being a 15-year-old girl um, and watching the Summer Olympics in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I had not seen a lot of women basketball players. Um, You know, I'd watched some college basketball. I remember random players like Kira Orr at Duke. Like, I had caught a couple games, you know, living in Alexandria. Uh, I remember UVA and Debbie Ryan and her teams and things like that. But it wasn't Mm -hmm. until that summer of the Olympics and watching the Lisa Leslie's of the world when I was (laughs) like, wow, like, can I, can I be this? Like, I really aspire to be this dominant on the court and this brilliant and this beautiful and this charismatic. I mean, I'm my, I was blown away by this. And Mm -hmm. that's why I always come back to that term. You know, if you can see her, you can be her because that representation was life-changing for me to see Mm -hmm. these women, especially black women doing something that I love to do, which was play sport. Um, who were traveling the world, who were successful, who were powerful. I was like, wow, so this can actually get me somewhere, you know? So <laughs> this that, is real that, life. Yes. So that team was instrumental um, for me, but there's just been a lot of people along the way. And, and, and Annie, you know how much it takes or how hard it is to be a woman in any industry, um, to be a woman of color in any industry, to mm. be, you know, one of few um, voices of uh, uh, minority voices in any space. I respect every woman that gets up in the morning and and continues to fight the good fight, right. so that her perspective is is heard and that her voice is a part of the conversation and that um, you know just willing to take on the challenges that we have to face. And I have met many women like that along the way, and I've got so many incredible mentors. You know, that crab in a barrel mentality was not something that I experienced in my in my career. Um, Mm -hmm. There were a lot of women that were supportive of me. Um, You know, I've had some situations here and there for sure, but the overwhelming feeling has always been of support. So, um, you know, there's been a lot of women that that have touched my journey along the way. But those are some of just the earliest influences for me. And of course, seeing Robin Roberts on television. Right. And, you know, seeing what Carolyn Peck has has done, um, you know, people like that. Vivian Stringer has always been someone that I've drawn strength from just because what a life. Oh, um, my God. I haven't and- met her yet, but obviously Kalia is is a product of, of Vivian Stringer. And when she talks about Coach Stringer, you you just are left speechless, like her impact, everything that she contributes to her players on and off the court. It's, it's just pure brilliance. I mean, it's, it's hard to put in the words, but I'll tell you this. I remember the first time I went to Iowa and this was after she had gone on to Rutgers and I was going to Iowa to cover Lisa Bluter's team. Who's one of my Mm -hmm. favorite college coaches, but I could, I landed in Iowa and I'm like, how in the world did Vivian Stringer recruit 
black women to come to Iowa to play basketball in the right. time that she did. Like it, it, when you think about the time that she was coaching, like right. the, the amount of diversity there wasn't, um, it, it's just crazy. And for her to go there and have the success that she had, and this is just on the basketball side of thing. I mean, you can look right. at his life all the way back to Cheney and everything that she's done at, at every stop. But that was a moment that really made me take a pause in, in how, Coach Stringer has been okay being the only one at some point. I mean, she was the black coach who um, very early on was was with Pat Summit, who was, you know, with the builders of our game, with the with the Tar Vanderveers. It was the representation of, mm-hmm. of for black women, you know, um, in a sport that is now majority black. So it's just, yeah, she blows me away. But I, I was just thinking about her because of her recent court dedication and, and right. definitely someone who has influenced my career. I would not be able to do what I'm doing now without the journalists and storytellers who, who paved the way in the WNBA. But it's, it's so upsetting and frustrating when you uh, looking at a, a player like Epiphany Prince and the way that her career, and I'm talking locally, like Chicago media, how it, it, it gets skipped because, because people weren't, didn't care enough to treat women's sports the same as they treat men. Like we missed out on the stories that come with being a beat writer, you know, like it's, there's young kids that read these stories that see you on TV. Like you said, that, that consume the stories you're telling and their lives are changed because of it. And Mm -hmm. it's so upsetting to think about the stories that went untold all because of people's, people's inability to value women the same as men and and not to get like too heavy but it's just so deeply upsetting and I think about that all the time the stories we missed out on because it's not even like you need it's not even like if we went back and wrote his story like right now and did a did a went back and, and I wrote a story about her time with this guy that would be great but what we missed was the day to day like, what did yeah. she say on a random Tuesday coming into the gym after a loss? You know, like those quotes, those stories matter. That matters. Yeah, it's the record keeping. It's, yes. the, it's the history of uh, women's basketball. And that's why I have so much respect for like the vocals of the world and people who were basically cataloging the history of the sport when no one else was paying attention. Like there's so much we would not know if not for, you know, the Cheryl cowards of the world and people, I mean, the popularity has grown in recent years, but for many years, not only were people just trying to piece together the history of the sport, but they were doing it part-time or not uh-huh. being paid to do it. To do it, right. Yeah, and that's the other thing I, I think people, when I say that women's basketball could be hard to cover, it's not because the sport is not great. It's not because they don't deserve the coverage. It's not because we, those of us that cover it, don't love it. But 
just the understanding that a lot of people are doing this because of passion. They're not getting paid even a fraction of, of what those are getting paid to cover other sports. Many right. of them are doing it, um, you know, while also carrying a, a, a full-time job because mm-hmm. many of these media entities are j- just don't value it or they don't mm-hmm. see the use for it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, it's frustrating because there are so many gaps and holes in the, in the history of our sport, but I am just glad and thankful for people like you and the beat writers and people that are there with these teams and these players day in and day out, because that's what they deserve. And that's why I wanted to get into this to begin with. It was like, I mean, Annie, I can't take you back of the number of times where I've been the only person sitting in a press conference or I've been, you know, the only person, you know, you're looking at like the finals level of, of games and we don't have people there to cover media row was somewhat bare, you know, now yeah. the credential list is long, but Oh, I mean, the lack of investment by many of these media entities to say, okay, we're going to have a designated WNBA or women's basketball person. We're going to put some resources into covering this sport. This is important. Like it is, it is mind blowing um, when compared to the numbers for other sports. So I'm glad to see the growth, but to your point, there, there are gaps and holes in the history of our game because of the lack of commitment. And, you know, when you think about that and, and the, the, the people that are making the decisions, the, the guys or the gays, excuse me, that we've consumed sport media under, it's the white male gaze. And so the people who have been making these decisions are deeming what's important from that gaze. And yes. that, that is why, like we're talking about representation and, and the value of, of, different voices sharing different stories. That's why this, that's so important because what you over here say is important, Bob or Mark or John is, is not what everyone over here is also going to deem important. And it's, it's just so critically important to have the variety of voices making these decisions and it's completely impacted my career. And I don't take, like I said, for granted a single day of my ability to cover this league every single day and get paid to do it. Because like you said, there are so many of our friends and our colleagues who are doing this strictly from passion mm-hmm. and they're helping move the needle and are so valuable, but that's a problem in itself. So there's just yeah. there's so much to get into. I feel like we could we could talk on that topic alone for a whole hour. Oh yeah, absolutely. And to your point, it's like until we start until people in those rooms making decisions start to either look like us or start mm-hmm. to change that mindset. Um, that we see the rest of the world taking on sports media won't change. You know, that number, I guess, is at 5% now for media coverage for women's sports. It may be higher than that, but it's still ridiculous either way. It's like until that mentality changes, we won't see any change. And again, it, sport is a, sports media is a microcosm of what we're seeing in the world. Like, mm-hmm. In our world, we don't see women. In our world, we don't see black women. In our mm-hmm. world, we're invisible and told that we're not important. We're not paid as much. We're not as valuable. We don't need a space. That's fine. We can have a whole board of of white men and that's okay. Like the 
the, there's a lot of change that needs to be made. And, um, you know, a, a lot of people that need to look at the world very differently. And, you know, I remember Muffet McGraw, obviously famously saying in the NCAA tournament a few years that people hire people that look like them. Like we got to get uncomfortable. You got to get uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You got to realize that diversity is a thing that your perspective isn't the only perspective that, you know, if, if you're living inside your own space, you're missing out and doing a disservice to the people that you're a leader to, because, um, you know, women's sports is just amazing. And, and I wish more people would give it a chance. And last, the last thing I will say is my philosophy has always been, okay, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? And most people mm -hmm. would say, well, we don't invest in women's sports because the numbers aren't showing but that. China, if I hear that you know, one more time. I know. And it's like, but how about you invest in it first right. and then we'll see what happens with the numbers. Invest in it the way you do men's sports. Invest in it the way you do other things. And then we can have that conversation about what it's not. But I'm going to need to give first it time to it. Yes. And give yes. it time because that investment, you can't you can't attempt to make something grow in a in a limited time frame. Like, yeah. oh, you have a year to prove that this that that we could grow an audience here like no think about yes. think about the nba and the way that the nba's audience grew that took decades that took years of of people showing up it's like you cannot tell me that we will cover this when the audience is there we cannot expect the audience to be there if we are not covering it every day. Oh like what, that makes no sense to it me. It makes no sense. And it took years to build. And those were men. So imagine right. for women where we're told. Who have only been, right. right. Sorry, I'm cutting right. you off. I'm no, 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 you're right. Up. Go ahead. No, you're good. But, but yes, like, women have same. only been playing sport for like, yes. look at Title IX. The last 50 years, it's like women have been, been, told they they don't belong in these spaces so they're yeah. already behind decades and decades behind the times of of even having the experience in the sport and even so, being in in the boardroom and in position to make decisions about sponsorships and being in leadership positions that they uh -huh. can now start to create a shift like you know women even back in in the days of title nine before like very different power structure in our world in uh -huh. general, you know, like when it came to the head of organizations or serving on boards or, you know, being a position where they can be game changers, like, yeah, give it some time. Going back to your career again, because I, I want to make sure everyone listening gets these gems from you. You got into broadcasting in your late 20s. I'm curious how that jump happened. Like, what was the specific moment? And, and I'm sure there was more than one moment, but but how did you have the confidence, have the fearlessness to to transition that way? Well, it started with a quarter life crisis. Uh, <laughs> I was in my late twenties. I, I was in my late twenties. Was on the road to being an athletics director. Actually, I had spent the uh -huh. first seven years out of college working in athletic administration. To your point, I was working at Georgia Tech, and got into my late twenties, and I was like, "What am I doing?" Like finally had a moment of self-reflection where I was kind of sitting still for a moment looking at, you know, who am I? What are my interests? Where is this going to lead me? And I didn't see myself in an office, you know, not to minimize what athletic directors do, but mm -hmm. uh, their roles are often far from the court, right? They're doing yeah. more of the business side of sport. And, and I wanted to be closer to the game. So I, I participated in an NCA leadership Institute and it was probably the, one of the best things I've ever done. Um, and after doing some soul searching, 
talking to people around me, you know, I was like, you know, people were like, well, why don't you try broadcasting? And I'm like, yeah. So there was just this one magical day where, you know, I was working at Georgia Tech, but during the games, I didn't have any real responsibility. Like all my work was done in planning travel and marketing and fundraising and mm -hmm. budget, all that stuff. But during the games, I wasn't doing much. So they were like, well, do you want to jump on the radio and you know, <gasps> just analyst work? And I was like, sure. And this was during this whole crisis. So I was like, sure, why not? And I feel like the minute I put the headset on, I said to myself, this is magic. <laughs> like <laughs> I immediately knew that that's what I was supposed to be doing. Cause that's what I did anyway in my living room. Like I'm yelling at the TV talking right. about what's happening. I was obsessed with women's basketball at all levels. Like whatever was going on in the sport, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be a part of it. I spent all of my, you know, even in my job at Georgia Tech, I was a member of the women's basketball staff on the administrative side. So I was completely consumed by it mm -hmm. and um, I loved it. So I did radio for a while. And it, to me, it's such a great way to learn broadcasting because you don't mm -hmm. have to worry about what you look like. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was in my khakis eating popcorn, <laughs> like, you know, real chill. But yeah. just learning the craft. And from there, I was like, okay, now I got to figure out how I'm going to get on television. And imagine being laughed out of so many offices <gasps> when I was like, okay, I'm not a broadcast major. I'm not a communications major. I've never been on television. I have no experience, but I know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And people looking at me like I had four heads. And oh. like on top of that, Annie, and this is probably where my career has been just kind of a mystery. Yeah. Uh, I had no success to stand on. You know, I sat next to Hall of Famers and, and analyzed the game. I've covered the WNBA finals and now I've been an analyst on the Olympics and I've covered a final four. I'd never even played in an NCAA tournament. Okay. Mm. So for me to go in and say, I want to be the next Carolyn Peck, who won a national championship, or I want to be the next, you know, whoever, um, they're looking at me like, yeah, but you don't even, you, you haven't even had success in your own basketball career. What are you going to teach us? Oh my so God. It was, it was like, you know, it, 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 to your point, it did take a lot of confidence. Like I was willing to work harder than everyone else. And that was really, uh -huh. honestly, the best advice I ever gotten is from my dad. He was like, people are always going to be more connected than you. They're going to have more accolades and more education. They're going to be prettier. They're going to have all there. Everyone, there's always going to be people that have more than you, but you can always outwork those people. Mm -hmm. And my goal at that moment became, I am going to become synonymous with women's basketball. Even if mm. it costs me, I'm going to show up in places I'm not supposed to be. The number of like, <laughs> the number of times I've made up my credentials to get into events is like ridiculous. Like, Wait, hey, LaChina. I, oh my God. I'm with, I'm with com, and I really need to get into the SEC women's tournament. Um, Can somebody help me? <laughs> That is some. That is truly one of the most valuable pieces of pieces of advice I've ever gotten in my career. Too is like, go into rooms that you're scared to go into, or do things you're scared to do, and and don't stop until someone tells you no. Like just because just because you don't have the credential or the access, like is that's not a no. Someone no. needs to directly look at you and tell you no, and even sometimes then you can push the limit. So. Pushing oh, yeah. the boundaries until someone tells you no. And and there's always like degrees to it, right? Like I'm not advising anyone to go out here and do something ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you're if you know you belong somewhere, if you know that something is meant for you, the way that you just described this career being meant for you, 
that's when you push the boundaries. And hearing you talk, there were so many valuable things that that I, I took from that. And and one of those was, you know, saying yes even when you're afraid. Like that first opportunity you had to jump on the call. Some people, I think, let their fear or their hesitation decide for them. And sometimes you have to, you have to acknowledge that fear, acknowledge that hesitation, but then listen to your gut. What is your gut saying in that moment? And even if it's hard, even if it's scary, say yes, if that's truly what feels like the right decision. So how have you honored your gut over your fear throughout your career? That's a great question. And honestly, one of my favorite quotes is don't be afraid to go out on a limb because that's where the fruit is. Uh Uh, The limb looks really scary and the world is always going to tell you what you're not. And I say this about women. We look at the boxes that we don't check more than Mm -hmm. the ones that we do. Mm -hmm. And you have to be willing to weather the storm. I mean, it got to the point where I was listening to no's left and right. And I just had to let them go in one ear and out the other. And to just blaze your own trail and think outside of the box. Like, for example, you know, no one would put me on television because I didn't have an experience. So what did I do? I created my own experience. I created my own show. I used to do like fake standups outside of arenas and pretend like I was, you know, a part of it. And then I would send those out and say, hey, this is me. I just covered, you know, the so and so game. Yeah. Right. And, and and so just finding ways and not that you had to beat down the doors like women's basketball is in a totally different place now. But when I was getting into it, people were like, oh, you want to come cover? OK, sure. Go ahead. Right. You know, like and, and I was willing to work for free. Like I had a full time job. And so they were like, well, we don't have a budget for it. But if you want to be our sideline reporter, sure. Come on in. You know, um, mm-hmm. and what I was doing in that time was building network and building relationships and. Um, I was happy. I was like, wow, this is great. I got to go in and, you know, be a part of women's basketball. And I remember past uh-huh. Sunday saying, you know, we got to get these games on TV. We got to. And so I felt like I was part of a movement even from afar. But it's just, you know, having that confidence in what you know you're supposed to do. And when you're doing something that is ultimately your destiny, you'll know it. Because you will get up every day thinking about it. You will go to bed thinking about it. There won't be anything you're not willing to to sacrifice to be around the game, to be around the sport, whatever it may be. You'll know. And you just got to be willing to keep pounding down the doors. And my dad used to always say another quote from him is, you know, the person that will have success is the one that is willing to be uncomfortable the longest. Mm-hmm. And it was extremely uncomfortable you know, trying to pave my way in a in a field that I had no experience in, that everybody kind of looked at me and was like, okay, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember sleeping in my car one time because I wanted Ugh. to cover the SEC media day and I wasn't working for anyone, but I just knew I needed to be there and couldn't afford the hotel. You know, I was like, I can't afford the hotel, but I'm going to go ahead and sleep in my car here and figure out how I can get in and cover. Like there was no limits and not that I yeah. would advise doing that because it's not safe, but I was going to show up where women's basketball was a thing. And I just think you just have to, you know, be determined to um, do whatever you have to to create that space for yourself, even if it means pulling up your own chair and, um, you know, dealing with rejection on multiple levels. I appreciate your vulnerability so much because I think and, and I'm thinking back to when I was coming out of college, 
I, there were, there were no women who were being straight up with me. There were no women who were like giving me the hard advice of like, yo, this is, this is difficult. It's challenging. You're going to hear no, you're going to be challenged every single day. But if you can push through that, if you can continue chipping away at the rock, you're going to, to get to the places that, that you want to get to. And if you are, are, like you said, staying true to your joy, staying true to your passion, it's going to work out. It just yeah. takes time. It and takes being, time and commitment. Yeah. And being annoying, you know, like yeah. being that person <laughs> that they're like, okay, she keeps showing up. And, yeah. you know, the thing is too, Annie, it definitely has to be connected to your purpose because it's hard. It's yeah. hard work. What you right. do is hard. What I do is hard. Like, if you don't understand why you're there, I'm not here because I want to be on television. I'm here because I want to elevate women. I'm here because I want to give Black women a voice and amplify mm-hmm. what they're doing in, in this world. I'm here because I want to grow media coverage around the, the sport of women's basketball. It's so much greater than, so much bigger than just, you know, any single game or I'm sure for you, any single article. Like, it's, we are part of a movement um, to change the landscape for women's sport. And so when you feel like you're a part of an army and you feel like you're changing the world in some ways and the landscape of how women are viewed and how they're covered, like that just, that purpose gets you out of bed. And, mm-hmm. and that's what gets you through um, some of the harder times. The hardest days. I just got the chills hearing you you describe it that way because I've never in my life felt more in alignment with, what I'm doing. And I think back to, like you said, the no's or the challenges that you hear. And, and now I can see they were all directing me here. They were all helping me find this, this lane that I'm in now, this, this space and place that I'm in, in my life now. And so to anybody listening, if you're going through a challenge, if you're hearing a no, if a door is closing, trust that it's a redirection. It's not the end. It's not it does not mean that you don't belong. It does not mean that this, this industry isn't meant for you. It's just a redirection and redirections are some of the most beautiful experiences of life, especially when you're on the other side of them in the moment, they feel like the worst, but when you're on the other side of it, it feels really beautiful. And yeah. You know, and one thing I'll share too, Annie, really quickly, sorry to yeah. make you off. No, no, no that, I love this conversation. <laughs> well, and most people look at my career and they say, well, she's worked with ESPN since 2009. I just went full-time with ESPN in 2020, I want to say. Uh, yeah. My entire career, I've been freelance. And what that looked like was I never had a contract. Like I I had a by-year contract, but every year I was responsible for going out and finding work for myself. Uh There was never a comfort place where it's like, okay, you're going to be here for two years or we're going to guarantee you games next, next year. Every, you know, September, I start reaching out to the Big Ten Network, to ESPN, to Fox, to, you know, CBS Sports, whoever was carrying women's basketball, like, okay, I'm back, like, are you going to hire me for some games and hoping that I had made an impression and been good enough to get work, uh, you know, for the upcoming season. And so there has never been a, a, a really a place for comfort for me. And, and again, speaking to all the people that might be listening to this and that's where the uncomfortable journey comes in is just having the faith that, you know, what you're doing and the work you're doing will eventually pay off and that the needle is moving and that little mm-hmm. by little you are, you know, making an impression um, but it, it's, it's a grind. It's, it, it is a, it's a hustle. It's a grind. 
Um, you know, and I hope that it won't always be there for those be that way for those of us that that love to cover women's sports. I just hope that there will be more stability in the future and that there will be, um, you know, more spaces created for us. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought up freelance, because I think that's another thing that that young aspiring journalists, storytellers are a little a little confused about is, is that idea that you graduate college and you're aspiring for a full-time job, which of course stability is, is something that, that humans crave. Like stability is, is the goal, right? But there is, there is a huge unstable aspect to this industry. And that doesn't mean you're not successful. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like freelancing some of the best in the business are freelancers. They're not full time with a network. And you're exactly what you just said. You were a prime example of that from a lot of your career being a freelancer. So don't be afraid, I would say, of the opportunities that that present themselves as as freelance opportunities. You that's almost uh, there's a beautiful aspect to that of, of you are able to structure your your uh, schedule. And yes. again, I say, I say that in, 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 a guy, I, I used to freelance, so it's not that simple. You know, there are, you're, you're struggling for opportunity a lot and, Oh yeah. And, you're paying for health insurance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I say that and I don't want to minimize the, you know, the, the highs and Challenges. lows of freelancing, yeah. but it's also just, you know, a different way to be successful in the industry. And I don't think anyone should look at freelance as, something that shouldn't be aspired to. I think, like I said, there are so many people who have had incredibly successful careers as freelancers. Right. And I could have been full time at other networks before Mm -hmm. then, but they wanted me to cover other sports, you know, and I did not want to cover anything but women's basketball. And so that was Mm -hmm. a risk that I decided to take because I knew how it was important for me to wake up every morning and feel like I was giving back to the sport that I played. Like, that's why I'm doing this. Right. And so it just would not have been authentic. And I'm not saying that when you do have to sacrifice and do those things that you shouldn't, but for me, it was one of my non-negotiables. Like, no, I am working women's basketball. Now, had I, you know, worked NBA or NFL or other sports or whatever, oh gosh, who knows where I'd be. I'd probably be making a lot more money. I'd probably be, you know, my platform would be bigger, but I didn't want to. And I still don't have that desire because this is bigger than a check. It's bigger than a platform. This is about purpose. And I know that my purpose is to grow women's sports, in particular women's basketball. And that's that makes me happier waking up in the morning than anything else could knowing that I'm serving and staying true to that. And when you're driven by purpose, your life is filled with so much more joy because if you're motivated by shallow desires at some point, that's going to come to a head and it's not easy when it does. But something you mentioned a couple minutes ago was elevating black women's voices. And obviously you're doing that day in and day out with, rising media stars, which was really years in the making for you and co-founder Kevin Nixon. So from ideation to inception, what went into creating Rising? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, So the minute I put on a headset and started working in broadcasting, I started to get emails from young women saying, Mm -hmm. how can I get there? 
Mm-hmm. How can I be an analyst? What do I need to do to be a reporter? And I was always willing to have coffee or, you know, have young women come and shadow me. You know, Bob and I used to always have young aspiring journalists come and, you know, sit on headset with us and talk, um, you know, around the dream games. Cause I, I started actually, you know, with the dream in 2008, which was a little bit before I started um, at ESPN. And that mm-hmm. was on, on radio to begin, but either way. So we would get these requests all the time. And then, I mean, Annie, I was getting them so much and I just did not have the time or the bandwidth to, to do it all. Um, yeah. and so Kevin and I were both trying, both in spaces where we were trying to help young women in their broadcasting careers. Kevin was doing it on the production side. You know, I was doing it more on air talent and we ran into each other at the dream game. We were both like, Hey, how can we do this mentoring in a way that we are really making an impact, you know, because mm-hmm. we can spread ourselves thin with a hundred girls a year, but are we able to keep up with that? Are we able to follow up with them? Or can we really track with them on their journeys and, and, you know, help be really be making a difference. And we were like, what if we really focus on a smaller group of women and, you know, help them in, in their transition. And so, we started Rising Media Stars, um, and which is a nonprofit, in order to help women of color in particular um, get training, get mentoring, get education around how they can either transition into sports broadcasting or be better in the field. And we decided to focus on women of color because we wanted to diversify the landscape of sport broadcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you look at sports media, there's not the representation that there should be when you look at the athletes versus 100%. them. And mm-hmm. that's important for, for a number of reasons. So uh, we started it with our first class in 2019. That was our first, you know, graduate class. And we took five young women and we mm-hmm. actually didn't pick them. We have, you know, a board of directors, which is amazing. And, you know, they picked the group. And what we do is we bring them to Atlanta and they get like real experience covering sports teams in Atlanta. The Dream, United, the Falcons <laughs> and the Hawks. Yeah. Grateful for those partnerships. But they literally get to do stand ups and halftime interviews and, you know, locker room interviews. And for some of them, this is their first experience and their first opportunity to say, hey, can I be good at this? And what does this mm-hmm. feel like? And how does this work? And um, obviously they're getting guidance and instruction from me. We have an outstanding group of mentors that are connected to our program that, um, you know, serve as a network and, and help to give feedback and all those things. But um, yeah, they go on a year long journey with Kevin and I, and, you know, we have classroom sessions where we talk about how do you ask questions and what about your brand and how do you dress and when do I need to hire an agent and just all of the aspects, any questions and any thoughts that they may have, but also what I know that I had to learn when I was transitioning into the field. But more than anything, just having a place where you're celebrated, um, where a safe space where we talk about everything yes. um, that goes into making a climb in this field. Um, you know, some of the unfortunate aspects like sexual harassment and things that mm-hmm. arise along the way that these young women just aren't prepared to, to deal with and don't have a safe space to talk about. And obviously we always reach out to resources and people who are much more knowledgeable and, and educated in these spaces, but we want to be that connector for them. Um, so our first class included, you know, Andrea Carter, Zora Stevenson, um, mm-hmm. 
Ice is Young, um, some of the names that <laughs> folks may be familiar with. And, yes, and watching very familiar. WNBA, right. yeah, WNBA coverage, um, which makes my heart smile because, right. you know, I know that we're adding to the future of our of our broadcasting, but we have a 2020 class and we now just started our 2022 class. We skipped 2021 because of COVID, but uh-huh. um, yeah, we're now three classes in and it's the most rewarding and fulfilling thing I've ever done. Um, you know, I, I've accomplished way more than I ever thought I would in my broadcasting career. And I got to the point where I still didn't feel fulfilled. And yeah, I knew it was because I wasn't having impact. Like having an impact is different than experiencing success. Like I wanted to do something that was going to, I've, I've lived my dream. Now I wanted to help other people live theirs. And so that is the best part of rising media stars is helping these young women hopefully achieve their dreams in sport broadcasting. It's just, I'm smiling. You can't see me right now, but I'm smiling so big here. You name those three heavy hitters in the industry. And it's a, you know, a direct result of the impact that you and, and rising has had. And it's just, it's incredible to see, but I'm curious what your opinion is on this question of, of whether or not you have to be in a settled place in your career to be a founder, because I think there are a lot of people who can relate to the idea that, You have to be an expert or have decades of experience to make an impact or or have decades of experience to to give yourself the freedom to work on a personal project. So what do you say to that idea? And, you know, it's it's something that, quite frankly, I think holds a lot of people back. Ooh, that is a great question, Annie. Let me tell you, you do this question <laughs> asking things really well. Um, oh, boy. Like, I wish I could just shake anyone that may be having those feelings of less than around being a mentor or being a founder and say, everything that you have experienced, every moment of failure, of success, of learning would be of huge value to someone else. And mm. we don't see ourselves as such unless we've, we've reached some kind of pinnacle. And it's sad right. because in all honesty, Annie, the most valuable connections that I make for these young women in the program is connecting them to women who are only a couple years into the industry. Like right. they need to hear from people who are just getting started because that's where they are. They need to hear from people that are, you know, three or four years in. Me getting into broadcasting is completely different from what they're experiencing right now. I mean, there was no digital platform when I got in. There was no, you know, the live streaming, the Instagram yeah. live, the and that's just one example of how the landscape has changed. So has changed. So in some ways, yes, I bring some value to them because of my experiences, but in reality, they need to hear from the people who are just making the climb. You know, mm-hmm. it's a it's a big jump to expect them to go from where they are to where I am. But for uh-huh. them to go from where they are to where Andrea is or for, from where I from where they are to where Monica is or from, you know, where they are to to any of our mentor Tabitha Turner or Angel yeah. Gray. Like that is much more relatable and um, really the kind of stories that they need to hear. So, mm-hmm. no, I, I would just say, please, please, please. I, I'm always so blown away by the things that I share and and, and people are like, wow, I would have <laughs> never known that. And And I feel like it's something very simple. Like, oh, of course, everybody knows this. But you'd be surprised like how your experience can add to someone else's life and how Mm -hmm. what you've been through and not just the successes 
can shape and and mold and and educate others. So please don't second guess. I mean, you can be a founder right now and there would be people like Andy, let me tell you this right now. If you, there would be a whole army of little Andy's running around, you know, like in your program, like the next in line. Oh, it's huge. And we all need to value ourselves more and create those opportunities and those pipelines for the people coming behind us. And I know, I know it's a lot of time it's the commitment. So I'm not saying everybody has the bandwidth to do that, but never let your lack of confidence or your lack of quote experience keep you from helping someone else because everything you have done and learned is is incredible education for for someone else 100 percent, and and i appreciate you so much for going in on that and and so many of these questions i have are are rooted in questions that the younger me had because it, it's not even just you know the advice but it's the vulnerable advice that mm-hmm. that carries so much value because and and this is just me being honest with our listeners and with you but when I was coming up, there was this sense that, that you had to present this like this perfect image. And regardless of, of whether you were succeeding in the industry or not, or succeeding by someone else's standards or not, it was like this weight to present as if as if you were succeeding. And mm-hmm. and you didn't want to see you didn't want anyone to see you stumble. And I just think that's such a lie. Like mm-hmm. I I have gotten further in my career being honest than, than I ever would or could trying to present as, as if everything's perfect when it's not, it's just truth matters, truth matters in stories and it matters in your story. So even you and and the work you do with rising, it, it matters so much because of the truth and because of the vulnerability that exists there and because of the space you're creating. So I just, you made history more than once in your career, but recently you were part of a historic broadcast on NBC. It was the game between Notre Dame and Cal, which was the first live broadcast of a women's college basketball game on the network. Um, On top of which the crew was comprised of yourself, Zora and Isis, two of your, your, your ladies who came through your program. Um, And the production team was all women as well. So I'm curious if you can explain how this team came together and was the all women crew something that you all got together about and were intentional about making happen? Or I imagine you didn't all just show up and it was a crew of all women, but I'm just curious what went into actually making that happen. Yeah, well, definitely want to give so much love to NBC, mm-hmm. um, a team that I have been incredibly blessed to work with, um, Elise Noonan, Becky Chapman. Um, since the first moment I've interacted with those groups, that group, and this is back when I was a part of the Tokyo Olympics, mm-hmm. um, I had a, a show with Adam uh, Rapon on Twitter talking Tokyo. Um, <laughs> that was my first time working with NBC and they just are mm-hmm. an incredible group. But what, what ended up happening was they hired, and this is separate from, from me, um, they hired Zora Stevenson, um, you know, as, as one of their talent. And what ended up happening was Zora and I worked together on the Beijing Olympics Uh and from conversations, they realized that Zora was my mentee 
Uh And that she had been a part of Rising Media Stars. And right away, I mean, they were so interested in the program and the work that we were doing and wanted to hear all about it and contribute it anyway. So I I give so much love and respect to them and and just wanting to kind of dig in and, and, and how impressed they were with the program and wanting to put resources and whatever they could behind it. So, um, Elise has a connection to Syracuse. I'm pretty sure she's an orange grad. So she had already had her eyes on ISIS as well. Uh Um, And so I want to definitely give a shout out to ISIS and Zora because they have been making their own climbs and, you know, making their own impressions in the media world, separate from rising media stars. And, um, you know, I just got a call from Elise one day and she was like, we have this idea and we want to use rising media stars talent to do it. Like we have our first, live college women's basketball game and um you know obviously looking at this being the 50th anniversary of title nine this year like we think it would be awesome to make this about Mm -hmm. women to make this about you know women in sport i mean all three of us are former college basketball players so we've benefited from from title nine and there's just a great story and on top of that the story of i mean the game itself was just crazy and so the the history making moment came about in that way, but it was just all the vision of NBC, um, you know, again, Neil Ivy and, and Charmin Smith, both being from St. Louis and bringing uh-huh. the game there and the impact they've had in their community. It's just, it was just one of the best experiences I've ever had, but yeah. Um, credit NBC for, for having the vision and, and making that all come together. What is it like sharing the stage with, with, alumni of of the program like I I can't even imagine the joy you must feel working along these two women and and both of which I was lucky to meet in the last year Zora during a a Bulls game uh, she was just in town recently and and Isis uh, during the WNBA season and and like you said the connection with with women in this industry is just so beautiful but yeah I just can't imagine what what you must feel sharing that stage with with them I mean, I think the first time it happened, yeah, I, I may have been with either Zora or Andrea. I mean, Andrea and uh-huh. I have worked in studio together right. now, but it may have been Zora with Beijing. I can't, I can't remember. Actually, it may have been Zora on an NBC Olympic broadcast going back to that summer, summer, uh, that summer of Tokyo, 20, 2021. Um, but either way, I just, let me tell you, Annie. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm good at my job, but these yeah. women are generational talent. And yes. I can say that like there are only a few people that I talk about in that grain in terms of those that are like kind of up and coming when, it, you know, uh-huh. when I say generational talent, it's, you know, Maria Taylor, it's Monica McNutt, it's uh-huh. um, Andrea Carter, it's Zora uh-huh. Stevenson. And like, they're so good. And at a young age, like I can't even imagine not even hitting 30 and being so good at broadcasting That's what I'm saying. naturally the way they are. Right. And so I'm sitting next to them. I can't stop smiling like a proud parent. <laughs> and, you know, my dream for these women in our program has never been to help them get to where I am. It's to help them yeah. accomplish greater things than I ever will. I want to see them hit the hit the moon you know like right so I just you I'm like a proud parent like working with them (laughs) and I'm always nervous and they're always looking they look to me a little bit you know that's the kind of interesting part too is they look they always look at me like am I doing well and I'm like girl you are killing it you know so 
Uh, yeah. So it's it's amazing. It's quite an it's an incredible feeling. That was just an incredible broadcast all the way around from the game to you all. It, it just was it was an amazing broadcast. I think oh, I mean, Twitter exploded. It, it was just it was a great game. Thank you. I mean, obviously, we're here to talk about the WNBA, too. I couldn't have you on and like not get into some <laughs> of the things that went down last season. I mean, for me and, and also free agencies coming up. So just a couple of topics we got to get into because you're an expert and we got to hear what you think. But sure. for me, it's so crazy because in the moment you're watching like the madness of the season unfold. Right. And, and there's all these different storylines and things happening and the games and everything. And, and you're obviously cons- you're aware of what's happening, but what takes place in my mind after the season ends is like a full acknowledgement of the madness that was the season. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think I fully processed game five of the semifinals between the Connecticut sun and the sky until like a month later when I rewatched the game, I rewatched the game twice. And I was like, what the, what, what? So, Oh my God. So again, (laughs) as the expert you are, what shocked you the most about let's about the playoffs, about the playoffs, because if we do the season, it's like, we could talk for another hour, but yeah. What shocked you the most about, about the playoffs? Well, I will start with game five. Oh, uh, between okay. Chicago and Connecticut, because I didn't want to I... put that on you, but I'm glad that was no, your answer. Listen, what? That I was shocking. Sh- I know your Chicago peeps <laughs> want to get into it. I always I go back and watch my games and I critique myself. I hate listening to my voice. I'm my harshest critic, but it has to be done. And you know right. what? I I hate that I never said towards the end of that game was this is an epic collapse. An epic Chicago. collapse. It was an epic collapse by Chicago. And, you know, in those moments as a broadcaster, you have so many things you could say. And I was right. very impressed by what Connecticut had done, especially after the altercation. They seemed to be inspired by yeah. um, you know some of the discussion and the trash talking and the tie ups and all of that that were happening, happening, you know, throughout that series. But. Chicago just, I mean, it was an epic collapse. I, I, it was the last few minutes, the last quarter of that game was not a Chicago Sky team with this roster configuration that I had ever seen. Like, it was very clear that you had five players that were not all on the same page. Um, at all the number of errors self-inflicted was just rare especially by a point guard like you know Courtney Vandersloot in some of those moments we had seen you know inexplicable things um shots missed in the way they were by Allie Quigley I mean it just and then you know Kalia absolutely was taken out of her game in spurts by the emotional in the the motion in the drama of the series right yes yes. and so there were and there were a number of other things as well you know I don't you know obviously coaching always comes into play and you've got Candace Park I mean there are a number of things happening at once but it was an epic collapse and I wish I would have said that and made it more clear on air listen I I uh, once again I've said this the entire podcast but I appreciate you for saying that because I felt the same way reading my story back which 
I have a hard time. I cringe listening to my voice, reading my stories back. But like you said, it has to be done. And that was something I thought about was like, even in the post-game press conference, it, it just, it needed to be, we needed to go harder on that because yes. there, that there's no other way to describe that other than an epic collapse. You're up seven with, or 11 with seven minutes to go. And like we've all reported all season, you have the deepest team in the league with one of the league's most historic players to ever play the game. Like, and not to discredit what Connecticut did, because obviously the team that should have won the series, won the series, like there, you can't go back and change shit based on who you think should have, could have, would have. But it just, it, it truly, it, it quite frankly, leaves me speechless every time I watch it back and it made no sense given the talent that was on the floor I mean you have like you mentioned one of the greatest point guards that the league has seen and and the mistakes the mistakes that were made by these players that whose composure should have been there especially given what you what you did the year prior it just and given that you were at home, <laughs> right? Oh my God. There you go. Like yeah. start with that. Like you're playing in front of your home crowd. I just want to get back into it because I, I want to hear, you know, what Candace thinks about that game, given the, the separation from it, because like you and I, the separation from it, your analysis of it, your mind opens up to things that in the moment you're kind of missing. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I can't wait to talk to Sue. I can't wait to talk to Candace. I can't wait to talk to all of them about that and how, you know, it's going to motivate, but also impact free agency. So with that being said, what is your boldest prediction of free agency? Because boy, I have some. Oh boy. Um, my boldest. Yes. Um, mm. It doesn't even have to necessarily be something that actually happens. Just what do you think? Yeah. would be, the wildest thing to come out of free agency this year, potentially. I think the biggest swings that we could see or the two players that I feel like are in maybe the most unpredictable spot in my mind of free agency is Brianna Stewart and Courtney Vandersloot. There you go. I really, I really believe that. I mean, I have no clue what those two players are going to do. Right. Um, And for a number of reasons, right? Like Courtney Vandersloot is the Chicago sky, one of the greatest right. point guards to ever play in the WNBA. Like she the face is of the franchise. Team. Yes. And, right. and yes, I know Candace Parker came in and she was right. the X factor. She was the thing that got them over the hump. And, you know, they've been players over the years, but slew. And even in talking to Sylvia Fowles, it was interesting. You know, when she talked about leaving Chicago for Minnesota, she said to me, the hardest thing to do in leaving Chicago was leaving Sloot. Like she is the re people want to play with her. Like she is, I mean, she's everything, but at the same time, she's been there, done that in Chicago, right? Is she looking for a new challenge? Is she looking geographically to move, you know, to different areas of the country and, and, you know, do something that she hasn't done, you know, I mean, they're all kind of things going through your mind. And then, you know, with Brianna Stewart, I mean, that recruiting trip, to New York is, New York, is still right. on my mind, right? right. Um, with Sue Bird retiring and some of the movement on Seattle's roster, like where does where's Stewie? So I I feel 
pretty good about everyone else as far as like you know kind of feeling like i know what they might do what they're gonna do players are yeah those two players (laughs) i have no idea so i'm i'm so glad you brought that up too because those two have been top of my mind and i i play out all these different scenarios because i think it's a domino situation. One domino falls and then that's going to impact other decisions. And so I, in my mind, I could see Stewie doing, I could see Stewie doing two things. I could see her leaving for New York, but I also could see her staying in Seattle if Sloot makes that decision to jump, you know? And, and the thing that's interesting about Sloot is, I mean, not enough could be said about her impact in Chicago and, and what she means to the franchise. And, like you said, a lot of uh, Candace was the spark. She was the X factor, but even she has said on multiple occasions, like this is Sloot's franchise. That's, that's not question. And it's not a disrespect thing to Candace mm-hmm. to say mm-hmm. it's Sloot's franchise, but Sloot has remained. And, and she talks about this frequently in, in press conferences. We've had this conversation a couple of times. She's remained loyal to the sky and an effort to bring a championship here. Right. And she did that. And so now it's, it's time where she gets to be selfish, if that's what you want to call it. And she's talked about being inspired by, by yeah, challenges and, and change. And so as much as I think Sky fans are, don't want to hear it or, or, or are scared for the possibility that she could leave Chicago, I think it's something that is very much a high, uh, I, I would say the highest, it's of a possibility it's ever yeah, been, but she's I paid mean, her dues. I mean, she's right. stuck with that organization, that franchise, you know, no one would be mad if she decided to leave. I mean, no, you couldn't, be, I mean, you know? yeah, true fan, true fans of her and her game could never be mad at that. I mean, you could be heartbroken. You could yeah. be, you could be sad, but you can't, you can't be mad about that decision. She's, she's done everything and more for Chicago. And, the other aspect of it I could see happening, which again is, is influenced by another player's decision is Slew and Candace. These are, these are two players I'm going to talk about specifically, but they are so motivated by greatness that like they're, and I say this all the time and, and I feel like people who cover these players understand it, but they're not in it for participation trophies. Like, Candace has said that, like, I'm not coming back <laughs> just to play another season. Like if, I, if I come back or, or, you know, her, her signing with the sky, it wasn't just to come home. It was to come home and win a championship, you know? And so I could see Slew remaining in Chicago if, if a, a championship contending team is constructed here. And that's the same with Candace and her, the possibility that one, she'll be back and two, where she'll sign if she is back. And my question about Candace, which I'm, I'm just so curious what your, what your take on this is, is the whole Kurt Miller thing, right? Like we, we all heard the quote during game five and of course it's, it's, it's the pull quote, you know, like he, he's lifting up his players, but he simultaneously like took a shot at Candace while he did it. So I know a lot of people are like, there, there isn't any way, like she's, she would play for, for Kurt. I've seen that take a lot, but I don't know. I mean, if they could construct a championship contending team there, I think Candace is in it for the championships, you know? So I'm curious what your thoughts are. If you could see her 
um, playing for Kurt again because he was an assistant in, in LA, you know, back in the day. I so. don't see there being any possibility that Candace goes back to LA. Okay. Okay. Zero. That's fair. Okay. Zero. Zero. That's fair. That's fair. Um, what and I think there's good reason for that to be the take. Yeah. And I don't even, I wouldn't even say it's because of Kurt. I okay. think the overwhelming sentiment in my mind is just that that chapter is done. done. And okay. that she on various levels is enjoying being quote home in Chicago. Yes. And that this was just the right next step for her at this point in her life. Now, not to discount Derek Fisher's role in Candace's decision <laughs> right. and some of the tumultuous times of that organization being a 100%. part of, you know, her decision to leave Chicago, but also Chicago was good for her. It was uh-huh. the right next best move. And in my opinion, if Candace went back to, LA would be taking a step backwards um, and not necessarily basketball wise, because I think Kurt will do great things there, but just in terms of the evolution of Candace, the person and um, what she has grown to mint to Chicago. Um, LA is a place that has had so many superstars. And even mm-hmm. you think about the WNBA side, the Lisa Leslie's of the world who started that. Right. For Candace to come in and be the player that brings them a championship, that is such a special, the first championship, that's such a special <laughs> and unique place to be in. And and yes. I don't think she takes that for granted. Yeah, I, I think Sky fans will be really happy to hear that take. I think that'll put a lot of them at ease that, yeah, if she's back, it will be with the Sky. And, and I agree. I, I, I think that, Again, what Candace is doing goes so far beyond basketball. Talk about generational talent. She is a, a person who is inspiring so many individuals because of everything she's doing from the basket, basketball court to the business side of things. There's just really no limit on what Candace Parker is going to do with the rest of her life. So oh my it's going to be, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be exciting to document and cover regardless of what happens in the next year. Last WNBA topic I want to get to is tied to Candace a bit, but Chelsea Gray and her obviously left at the same time. And something that I thought was so beautiful about these last two championships was they did what they set out to do. And they did it a year apart from each other. Like you just, these things, you can't write them any better. It's just I just want to see all the documentaries one day about all of the beauty within this league. So the sky being so close to returning to the finals, what do you think would have happened if they did? Do you think that series goes longer? Do you think they get swept? Do you think they could have taken out the aces? Like what's, what's your thoughts on, on what a final series between the aces and the sky would have been? Oh man. Oh, um, it would have been epic. Um, and I definitely think it would have gone five. Um, in, in a lot of ways, Connecticut love their style, um, in terms of their defensive toughness, but I never felt like they could consistently manufacture enough offense to keep up with Vegas, mm-hmm. um, with all of the, with all of the weapons they have. Chicago, on the other hand, as we know, 
is a very special offensive team. Mm-hmm. And with the addition of Emma Miesemann in particular, now having, you know, three players who were WNBA finals MVPs, I mean, that's a team that has shown and proven that they have players that can show up in those final five games in ways that, you know, have elevated various organizations, Mm -hmm. Chicago, Washington, you know, for Candace, LA. And so that's just a different beast. (laughs) And again, taking nothing away from Connecticut, I would have just loved to see those two different offensive styles head to head. Um, I would have loved the storyline of the Kelsey Plum and Courtney Vandersloot, you know, yes. that old thing. Um, <laughs> I, I think Asia Wilson is the new Candace Parker in so oh. many ways. Yeah. Um, the way she is carrying this league with her amazing play, but also, you know, her, her charisma and her brilliance yes. and, um, you know, all the ways that Candace has, um, and so that would have, would have just been such a great storyline throughout. I mean, there, there's so many things that in, in my opinion, um, would have made that series just one for the books. Um, and <laughs> I, oh my God, I'm so excited to hear this. The well, no, like, <laughs> in a lot of ways, I, I wish it would have happened. I do. Me I too. wish we would have gotten that matchup. Um, yeah, I, I do. And I and I've always been someone who feels like you need to beat beat the champs to be the champs. Yeah. And and even though that doesn't ever pan out that way, like right. I really wanted it to for Chicago because I felt like they had everything they needed to make that that return. And oh. again, minus an epic collapse, like that would have been the case. It's a game that I'm afraid for that team is going to live in infamy in the WNBA forever. The the game five collapse because of everything you just said, you know, the, the storylines were there for the finals between the sky and the aces. And again, this in uh, this conversation in no way takes away from the no. brilliance of the Connecticut sun. That was yes. an, that was a fun team. Those players, uh, uh, I, I loved covering that team as well, but the storylines, the storylines. And like you said, you have to beat the champs to be the champs. And, you know, from Kelsey Plum and Courtney Vandersloot to Asia and Candace to Chelsea Gray and Candace to, yes. you know, Kalia making the return to the finals. Like, and Kalia all of these, versus Jackie Young. Come on. Now. Right. Are we kidding? <laughs> and all of these reasons. And I just had this conversation with Ka recently. All of these reasons, I think, could contribute to the return of Sloot, Candace, potentially Emma. Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe even Allie. But I do think change needs to happen in Chicago. I, I, I don't think it, it should look exactly how it looked last year because obviously there was a breakdown in different situations throughout the season. But Or I guess not throughout the season, but, but in the playoffs. But what I'll say is, and again, based on my conversation with Kai, is like, you and I are talking about this and what we wanted. Like we wanted to see that the disappointment of, of that game five game that, that we feel of, of, you know, again, not getting, or at least I, I didn't get to cover this, this series that had been kind of brewing all season. And this, this rivalry that we've all been, you know, stoking and, and, and trying to get started the players 
feel that too. Like they, they are still thinking about that game five loss. And, and obviously, I mean, you're a competitor. How could you not? So I think there could be some motivation to, yeah, to, to run it back. Not the same way they did from 2021 to 2022. And obviously we saw diamond and Steph depart and, and there was change that took place then too. But I just, I think the competitors that they are, we could see a return. We could see salute back. I think, you know, like Ka said, I, I don't want us to not play together again. Like they, yeah. there's a feeling that that can't be their last game playing oh, together. It, yeah. You don't so, want to end like that. Right. You, know, you don't want to end like that. And also it's like, let me tell you, these teams better be very careful in how they're going about free agency because you have to stack your talent to be able to contend with the aces. You have to, right? 100%. Like that, that machine is exactly machine. that. It's a machine. Oh and so my God. If, if the talent disperses in a way that we don't have like some stacked talent, like we had this year with the Chicago, with the Seattle, um, you know, if you don't have teams that can line up on paper and not to say that that's everything, but your chances against the aces of knocking them off are slim. Like, right. They're just going to run through the league. Yeah. This needs to be a group effort as far as like, and I've heard rumblings that like Candace is trying to pull a super team together. Like all these, I've (laughs) I've heard all of these, you know, things like these discussions happening and you, you, they have to, they absolutely have to because Vegas I mean, it looks like a train that is just getting ready to run everyone over. A freight train, a freight train. And actually, since you brought it up, I got to ask too, like the way that the Aces, again, were a freight train this season. And and this was a take I had all season. I was was convinced that at some point their lack of depth was going to hurt them. And obviously we saw it absolutely didn't. It, it, It wasn't a problem. Um, and so now coming into, to the year where, yeah, the goal is to repeat, what do they have to do to like, do you think depth could be an issue in year two? Because again, I'm just curious at like how they can sustain that without a deeper bench than they had this year. Like, is it possible or is that just a lame take from me? No, no, no. Um, I think you have to be better and different every year. Um, you mm-hmm. can never return the same team. And I think Becky and, you know, the Aces organization did a great job. You know, Natalie Williams, I think they all understand that. Yeah. Um, especially with the unknown of De'Erica Hamby, right? Right. Um, she was able to play enough down the stretch that gave them a little bit of a different look. You know, she came in against Seattle, you know, against Stewie in Seattle, just gave them enough. Right. Right. So I don't know what her timetable would be coming back, um, you know, from maternity leave. So that is definitely something to think about, but um, you know, because (laughs) of the ability of, Asia Wilson and Chelsea Gray and Kelsey yes. Plum and Jackie Young to absorb major minutes. Like if this team had age on it, I would say absolutely right. for bench. These players are in their prime and right. they are well conditioned. They have committed to the physical aspect of the game. And so um, 
it's a tough call. You know, I mean, Chelsea Gray has some injury history, but Plum, Young, and and uh, and Asia are any of them even like twenty five yet, twenty six years old? You know, maybe twenty. Right. You know, like mid, yeah, no mid twenty necessarily anything. But if this was, you know, again, if this was a team that had some age, I'd be like, yeah, they got to get them some help. But they look good playing major minutes. And what the Aces could do though is try to find a way to get more experience. I think coming off of the bench, I think they were really young. I didn't. I wasn't concerned with the talent level on the bench. And obviously Raquan Williams ended up being the X factor. Right, huge. But, right. But I do think having experience in some of those positions as they had, I think two rook, two of their players coming off the bench were rookies, Rupair, you know, she's definitely got international experience, which counts, but um, I can see that aspect changing, but I don't think there's any dire need to make any major changes with the exception of, you know, what happens with Dierica, And that might be something that they navigate, you know, on a as needed basis. Right. Well, man, all we know is it's about to be some drama in the WNBA. <laughs> yes, this, I can't and wait. We love it. I'm like, I'm, I'm just chomping at the bit to to get these stories out there. I just can't wait to see what happens. And you heard it from the China. There's rumblings. Candace is trying to put together a super team. Could it be in Chicago? We we just got to wait and see. So next year is for sure going to be a show. We're so excited to cover it. I'm sure all of you guys are so excited to watch. La China, I am so thankful for your time. You know, we got into so many topics an hour and a half later. We're, we could still keep going, but you you are just such a gift in this industry. I've learned so much just from watching you, and I've learned so much from this conversation. So thank you truly from the bottom of my heart for giving your time to Equal pay, Play and allowing me to ask you all of these questions today. I loved, loved, loved doing this. We now have a three-part Equal Play episode in our hour and a half. <laughs> And yes, equal play and equal pay. You said it right, Annie. That was not a mistake. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois.